0: Hey, it's the Fight Sites MMA podcast, and we have events to talk about, but I just had a quick question for Ram, my, my co-host. Um, do you remember when Dustin Poirier knocked out Conor McGregor?
1: I do remember that. That was very fun. That's I remember nice. it like it was, what, two weeks ago. That's mm-hmm. how I remember
0: it. still very fresh in my memory, but it also feels like it's just been part of, you know... The collective knowledge—it's been part of the meta. Just you know, it feels like an event that I've known for a long time.
1: (laughs) That's because we saw it coming months beforehand.
0: There's that, and I think also it is representative of something we've yearned for. You know, of Dustin just like knocking a really hyped fighter out, and everyone appreciating how great he is.
1: Yeah, I mean that—it's something that's been long overdue. Yeah, go Dustin Poirier. That's how we should start
0: every podcast. Yeah, I really like Dustin Poirier, although I still don't like him against pressure grapplers. I'm still terrified by that concept, but everything else, I really enjoy him. Yeah,
1: I mean, good thing that there are no scary Brazilian pressure grapplers in the division. Nope, not one.
0: Anyway, (laughs) that's how the UFC feels right now. It's like, wow, he won't take short-notice fights against Michael Chandler or Tony Ferguson or anyone else in the top five? Like, what what a pussy.
1: Well, he deserves it for ducking Benny.
0: Uh, that I'm um,
1: including that into the lore.
0: Yeah, he's definitely avoiding. All all the top guys are avoiding Benil Dariush, and I think it's because they noticed RDA was avoiding him. They're like, why wouldn't you want like a ranked win over like a teammate? You know, you can punk, which is the theme of this weekend's event. It's, <laughs> uh, you take the easy title defense against a guy that you beat all the time in training. Uh, just kidding. Very but, nice segue. <laughs> uh, anyway, I'm I'm done with that Benil Dariush tangent already. I'm not gonna finish my thought. It's, 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 it's right, this is the most organized podcast on the internet. Anyway, let's talk about events. So, I we should do are Would you rather start with the event from last week or, or jump into this week's pay per view?
1: I mean, we were already talking about Darius and Heated fight last week, so I might yes, as well start okay. with that.
0: All right, that's that's a good that's a good reason. You don't need a better reason than that. If you uh hmm. if you really want to hear our thoughts on all these fights, you should become a patron of the fight site, you should subscribe to us on Patreon because for only $3, get this, you can watch five of the six, or like all the good ones of the main card of the last event, you can watch the video, and you can listen to us commentate it, which, you know, we might not be the most professional crew, but I, th- I think we're better. Than the yeah, UFC we're more voluntary. professional than the professional crew. We're more professional in that we're doing our jobs well, but we don't know like broadcast decorum so that's true and you know we trail off and start talking about random stuff but for the most part it's good analysis i i think
1: yeah it, it, they're fun tangents not like the tangents that Dominic Cruz goes on sometimes
0: you learn something no matter what and uh we don't have our own careers to talk about so you never get stuck in like a boss and story of like how he was finishing people with clotheslines and like that's cool grandpa um <laughs> Anyway, this event, it was good. Um, in the main event, a lot of people got sad.
1: Yeah, I also got sad. It was not very fun. Um, I think the biggest thing was uh, Volkov being able to deny Overeem's clinch entries, where Overeem was trying to use this uh, long left hand to um, enter the clinch, grab onto a collar tie, and Volkov started uh, you know, just kind of shoving away. Later, as Overeem tried to enter with that like high guard, was trying to get the inside position with uh, by just walking in on Volkov with the high guard. Volkov started framing him off and threatening uppercuts. And after that, Overeem was just kind of at the mercy of a um, of a really not of a fighter who can work through a guard consistently without like gassing up and doing something stupid.
0: I had two questions for you. Question one is: Can you explain to me a little bit more? how one works through a guard and how Volkov did it. And follow-up question to that is, this isn't a test. I just, I I know, (laughs) I know that you know. Uh, But the follow-up question is that when Overeem was on the cage and had just the double forearms up, why then was Volkov so much worse at hitting him when he's in a worse position?
1: Right. So the principle behind working behind, uh, working around a guard, rather, you can look at a fighter like Dustin Poirier for that very well is you generally want to play with their reactions defensively and especially when it's static uh, it's not work because you know no guard can cover a hundred percent of a person's head and especially alistair over him he tends to keep this fairly narrow um shell and volkov eventually i think the finish was when he drew that shell inwards with the straight right hand and then just hooked around with the left hook and put over him on skates uh as to why volkov is just not very good at working over him against the fence i think a lot of heavyweights just Aren't very good at extended combination punching where Volkov can like work through it with you know one or two punches. Uh, the only guy who I remember really putting it on over him against the fence are Steve Amiocic and weirdly enough Jairzinho Rosenstrike, who uh,
0: he's a master put, striker, that's why.
1: Oh, yeah, the kickboxer, one and oh against or one and one against Benjamin Adegui, who Badr Hari is 0 and one against, so the goat. Mm-hmm. but. Yeah, I mean, I think Overeem just kind of sitting there, uh, I remember there was this one time Volkov straight up did a a Roy Nelson where he, like, grabbed a wrist of Overeem, had the wrist control, and you know how normally a guy could just, like, tug that to the side and punch him in the head, or tug that inward and punch him in the head, Uh, he just kind of stood there and let Overeem circle out, which is just, it's a weird complex a lot of heavyweights have, if someone like Dustin Poirier had Overeem in that position, he would have finished him in, like, 0.2 seconds, Uh so... It's just, it's just weird. I think a lot of it's just like heavyweights don't know how to target the body particularly effectively, and it would really help Volkov because he's just such a defined cardio heavyweight. But you know, it's not a thing that he does. Right.
0: It at least allows him to throw numerous strikes at once. He doesn't have to worry about not throwing combinations because he's gonna get tired. Um, in the beginning, he was kind of picking picking off single shots, and I think what like the first thing that happened was he punted out his leg. Uh, yeah. Hit the inside of the leg, and I, I think as soon as the fight started, and I saw them next to each other, and I saw like what the distance was like, I, I like felt panic for Overeem. I was like, Oh no! Like this, this is really yeah, tough. that happens sometimes. This is really tough to get through this space, and the way that Overeem gets through space, like we already like knew it was kind of irresponsible. But you know, Volkov's not you know much of a counter puncher. We didn't think, but Overeem just seems really tentative to do it as soon as the fight started, but, like, the first thing that was happening is he ate the kick. Apparently, he got his nose broken. I don't know when that happened. Um, but clearly, Volkov scared him off really early on. Or he decided before the fight that he's going to throw out that part of his game because it's too dangerous. Um, he's trying to preserve his brain. That didn't work out, but um, <laughs> <laughs> R.I.P. You know, I, I think there are were, there were things that were, like, psychologically keeping him from doing it. But maybe the leg was a little busted up, too, and if you remember, like, when he first started being I'm very tricky outside counterpuncher over Ream, like, against uh, JDS and uh, Arlovsky and... Who was the other one? Uh, oh. Duh, Stipe. Mijic. Um Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, he did it to all of them. But I think the thing with all those guys was they either, like, weren't trying to kick him or they are just slower and easier to read kickers because it's, like... Okay, this is the I'm just outside your range. so if he kicked me at least I really only know I'm dealing with the kick, Whereas with Volkov is like he he'd be too far away to do anything if he was completely outside of his kicking range. like in he covered I think he surprised him with how much distance he was covering on his leads with his hands. Now yeah, he just seemed like un, uncomfortable and surprised by everything and I don't blame him. like we thought he might be able to grapple but he, there was just no way he wasn't gonna try to pressure him. Like, it, the size looked really bad. I think they clinched up once, and it was like, oh, no, he's not going to be able to move him around.
1: Yeah. And it kind of reminded me of that uh, few seconds clinch exchange in the Unganu fight, where you just look at it, and you're like, okay, Overeem's a good clinch fighter, but this is just not going to work. Yeah. Um, I remember, I think we kind of called that before the fight, where it was Volkov is way too tall for Overeem to do a lot of his collar tie things, which is something that a lot of fighters have trouble with. If you look at even really good clinchers, like RDA notably had trouble with uh, Leon Edwards, when he was trying to do his collar tie stuff, but it's also trouble when you can't wrestle them. And Overeem seemed to not really have leg attacks in this fight, so I think he did one and got up into the clinch. I think that was the clinch entry. But other than that, like Volkov is, uh, he might have improved as a wrestler, but Overeem did really test it.
0: Yeah, there's that. <laughs> it's hard to know. It's definitely hard <laughs> to know. Um, I feel like I sound like. Um, who was it that said that Nate Diaz is like a 200-pound sumo wrestler? Ugh. That's me talking about how Volkov's impossible to wrestle for over. He was like, "There's no way, <laughs> there's no way he could have done it." When uh, you know Curtis Blades was doing his thing, but you know it was a very different, very different fight, and that's a very different matchup. But yeah, Volkov looked, at, you know, pretty much as pretty much as good as he could look, except for not hitting his body when they were against the cage. That was really annoying, yeah. and. I remember against like Derek Lewis when Derek Lewis covered up, he was like kneeing his body and kicking his body and hitting his body a lot during those flurries. And I was just, like, is it because he has such a big body and he was kind of like doubled over into the side and he was like presenting it and it was just easy? <laughs>
1: it's because he lost the fight. So body work doesn't work. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <sighs> it's a good explanation. So that was a quick one. Um, even faster one was the co-main event. There's really no need for us to break down this fight because Fanyo's video did it so masterfully.
1: Yeah, there's nothing to say. Just because Fanyo covered it all, not because it was short.
0: Yeah, just there's a lot of detailed factors that go into it that we could never, you know, finish talking about on on the podcast. We'd just take it would take over an hour probably, Uh, which is amazing that Fanyo condensed it into a, a 25 second video, but. (laughs) You know, it, there's a lot of there's a lot of information to digest in that 25 seconds. So make sure you go to our YouTube channel and uh, look at how Corey Sandhagen knocked out Frank Gaiger, and you'll get all of your answers there. Uh, so without smash that about, motherfucking like button. Yeah, smash smash all the buttons, <laughs> uh, unless there's any bad ones. You know, take caution around those. But without talking about the fight, um, Sandhagen's sitting for a title shot. Do you agree?
1: Yeah, definitely. There's really no one else he can fight.
0: Right. Unless it's Rob Font. Or Aldo. Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> I mean, even that, like, that's kind of... I don't think there's much of a case for either one deserving that fight.
0: And then for Edgar, just, I mean, like, physically, he looked fine, right? And yeah. He like a, like a guy that was going to give him a tough fight. Not stylistically, but just, uh, like, physically he was there.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's kind of tough to take anything from a 30-second fight other than all the things Fenyo took. So, <laughs> in terms of form, I can't really say that Edgar looked worse than the Munoz fight, where he right. looked a lot better than I expected him to look given the circumstances. He looked
0: a lot better than the Korean zombie fight, but as we, I think we said this on on the um, the analysis and the commentary, Frankie Edgar just had all the signs of, like, shot guy who was not going to oh, yeah. win fights against the Korean zombie. Like, he let he really let himself go, and, like, his hair grew out, and he just looked, he didn't look like himself. He looked old. And then he got, like, knocked around really easily, and like, oh my god, his durability is gone. The, the one that always stands out to me, like, the example of a guy just, like, oh, gosh, he has nothing, um, was uh, Mark Hominik versus Eddie Yagin Like, Mark Hominick got smashed a bunch against Aldo and, like, took it pretty well. And then against Eddie Yagan he's, like, blocking things and, like, get through his hands, through his guard, is getting, like, falling down from the force of punches. and like, oh, no. Um, so he looked like that versus the Korean Zombie, <laughs> even though he was getting hit clean. But in this and the Munoz fight, he was like, "Look, his durability looked good. Did he even get rocked once?"
1: Uh, I mean, he got kicked a lot and punched a lot, but I don't remember him (laughs) being notably stunned. And you have to you have to notice, the look was a lot better against
0: Pedro. Exactly, he's taking care of himself. He's well hydrated. Yeah, you know, he's feeling good. Um, Although
1: the beard against Sanhagen was actually really good, so I'm sad that he didn't have a better
0: performance. He did get, I don't know when he got it, but that new tattoo that's like under one of his pecs, that's a weird place for a (laughs) tattoo. Like, I feel like you also need a chest tattoo for that not to look weird. I don't know. Maybe I'm just picky.
1: Yeah, I'm not a tattoo connoisseur. I don't, generally the tattoos are, um, Benil Daryush has the best tattoos because he has none.
0: Yeah, none that you have seen. Um, Oh, that's true. (laughs) So, Quake sits down on his punches now.
1: Yeah, that was weird. <laughs> uh, I think the thing about Michael Johnson at this stage, and I think a lot of people expected it when he went to featherweight, but they, they attributed it to featherweights being faster, is that a lot of Johnson's defense has just kind of been angling out for one, and for the second one is just being way too fast. And at this point in his career... Like, he's still putting... Okay, well, not still. He was still putting on relatively consistent first rounds, but at this point, his uh, his reflexes aren't what they used to be, and he's just not as fast foot. Mm-hmm. and I think that's kind of what contributed to Guida just lumping him up through round one and uh, obviously wrestling him the rest. That's just classic Michael Johnson.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I enjoyed commentating that one, though, just because... I think I said it, it. was a good fight. It was a good fight, first of all. And like, there was there was a lot of drama to the wrestling exchanges. Like he was doing well, and he was making a mistake, and he was like almost saving it. And like they was like, <laughs> oh my god, is he gonna do it? Is he gonna defend this wrestling? And like a couple times he did. Um, but the funny thing was that it was it was kind of like not exactly, but I think a good example that is popular now is Gaethje versus Khabib, where the guy is like really like freaking out about the wrestling and it just ruins their striking and they just look so <laughs> skittish and panicked and like their stance is weird and their hands are low and they're like there's having I mean everyone points out the one moment versus Connor and Kubby, but like this was the whole fight it wasn't just one part but like but he, it was good he had allowed him to catch underhooks a lot and that was working for him he was still like countering Guida up all the time not like he got cleanly yeah. outstruck or anything
1: I mean, a lot of it was just, I think, the takedown threat and the overhand. It's just classic, because a lot of what uh, Guido was doing was just leading with these big overhands, the same thing that killed Johnson against Emmett, funny enough. But, um, yeah, I mean, the thing about Johnson at this point is just he's... If you take round one off him, you just know for a fact he's not going to have a better round than that. And, I mean, you could even see against Darren Elkins uh, in terms of, you know, the, the wrestling mental game I'm not, thing. It's I'm like, not
0: gonna go watch a fight with Darren Elkins, so oh, you, you yeah, you can say whatever you want, I have no way of disproving you.
1: <laughs> I mean, it was way too depressing. I haven't watched that since <laughs> I watched it live. Uh, but, you know, I noticed, like, even from the beginning when I watched it live, it was, Johnson was just super freaked out about the takedown in a way, like, even when he was sprawling, he was throwing himself, like, feet behind him. Uh, you could tell he respects the wrestling of everyone he fights, and For a good reason, because he just isn't all that on the ground.
0: Because he trains with a lot of good wrestlers and he thinks everyone is them.
1: His feet are too big to escape any positions. That's right. I I have a similar struggle. That's why I I dropped out of jiu-jitsu my feet are way too big.
0: You were handicapped.
1: (laughs) You know how they say the big is the handicap?
0: It actually only applies to your feet. You know what they say about big shoes, you know, bad at (laughs) jiu-jitsu. Big shoes, big socks, Uh, big trouble getting to the next belt. That was a fight. Um most of our commentary on Pantoja versus Menel Cape was just us being frustrated with Cape not really seeming to pursue any sort of win strategy. Like it didn't at no point did it seem like he was like trying to win the fight. That was weird, right?
1: Yeah, I mean I think it kinda seemed like he was it kinda seemed like he was expecting Pantoja to be a little bit more reckless than he was, where he'd be able to get a lot of counter opportunities. But Pantoja did a good job, you know, pushing him back, and uh, kicking him. The kicks were the dominant narrative of the fight where he was able to cut off cape's lateral exit sometimes and just generally keep him from uh, opening up on the counter. So that was pretty much it. Cape didn't look like a smart fighter, and he didn't look super competent despite that.
0: Pantoja was a smashing that front kick to the body too, right?
1: Oh, yeah, I love that. That so, was cool.
0: Yeah, I think, I think basically what happened was it. it's like you said, Pantoja was definitely expecting, I mean, uh, I, I did this the entire fight last time, too. I kept mixing up their names. Um, but, you know, Metal Cape kept expecting... I think he expected coming in that Pantoja would be chasing him and be more, a little more reckless, trying to get to him, and that he wasn't going to commit to the leads because he was scared of the reactive takedown, which is what I thought would be good for Pantoja because Cape does burst in leading so often, so it made sense for him to do it that way. And I feel like his main thing that that stopped that first was that you know cape was doing i mean pantoja was doing pretty well in like medium range so he had to pull him in a little bit more and then he was trying to like make him extend on his combinations because he was covering distance pretty responsibly that's where all the the lateral movement came in early on so like right in the beginning of the fight it looked like the the strategy was possible and then i think he just kept circling to the same side and that's when pantoja mixed in the low kick on the exit and i think he smashed up his leg a a decent amount of times there and and pantoja mean, cape was like all right never mind (laughs) how can I do that? And just kind of tried to focus on the in-and-out dynamic and that's when the body kick started coming in. I think that kind of put him off from bursting in and then he just didn't have more ideas.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it was a a very weird fight considering all of the hype that Cape had. Um, I mean, he's probably still interesting against guys who aren't going to fight as smart as Pantosha that
0: or more fragile fighters even. I mean, that was a tough debut, for sure.
1: Yeah, I mean, top five. You you don't get that too often for a reason.
0: Yeah, Yeah, and I mean, it's just hard to know because, like, I think Kyoji Horiguchi is, is, like, would be a top three flyweight and a top five bantamweight. Definitely. Um, maybe even a top one flyweight in the EFC. Yeah. Um, I still don't know if he'd beat DJ, but he might at this point if DJ's declining at all, which there's no proof of that. But it's hard that's... to say because
1: of the competition. Right,
0: right. So, <laughs> I think Kyoji Horiguchi is top, top class. I think Kaios Asakura is flawed for sure, but I mean, if he was a UFC flyweight, he'd be ranked because there's not that many UFC flyweights in the, probably you know, top ten territory. Um, and then, you know, some of their other guys are decent too. And like if Kai Asukor was a weight, maybe he wouldn't be ranked. Uh, but for, for flyweight, like for people fighting people his size, I think he's pretty good. So it's like just tough to judge. Sometimes like, oh, these are the top three guys in Ryzen flyweight, and then there's like Sasaki in there too. We're like, where do we place them? And I think he's you know, still generally like a ranked territory kind of guy it's just like maybe it was hard to place his stock exactly so people treat the you know just the loss on itself I think it would be unfair to treat this as like some big letdown from him I think it's fine um but just the performance is what makes it bad yeah
1: yeah I agree I mean if he lost in like a, a swinging match with Pantoja, I'd just be like okay that that shit happens it's Pantosha but uh, he didn't really have many ideas in this fight
0: right uh, I was just peeking at the rankings. He could fight like Tyson Nam or like Matt Schnell, or Suhmadarji. Or I'm just gonna read all of them. Tim Elliott, <laughs> oh Halle on Paiva. He oh, shouldn't cool. fight Paiva because that's. I mean, if we want to do an IQ test and like, did you learn from last time at all? Because <laughs> this guy could <laughs> the do same kind of goes same for. Yeah, the
1: same kind of goes for Dvorak because Dvorak did some cool kicking things in his last about fight. Him. It was cool. I, I appreciate him somewhat.
0: It's hard. It's hard to really get into this new flyweight division because I just know what it used to be. I'm like, man, this is like. It's. Uh, it's like they had to start over. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, all the, the cool division. gatekeepers
1: are gone, which is yeah. why like you have to cool go from beating. Are so cool. Yeah, I, I wish they got Moraga back. Moraga would be cool. All of the top
0: guys at the weight were gatekeepers because it was like Joe B. Cejudo and DJ like, yeah. that's a very hard top <laughs> three to break through. Um, and I don't think people appreciated that at the time, and that's why they undervalue all of DJ's wins, although mm-hmm. a lot of DJ's wins were before they were their best versions of themselves. But um, still, I really appreciated the old flyweight class, and it's taking me some time. It's, they, these guys need, need some more time to grow on me, and I think part of it is it's a lot more strikers than it used to be. It used to be yeah, like all true. wrestlers and grapplers, and I was super into it, and now it's a little more diverse stylistically.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think Dvorak and Paiva... Well, uh, Dvorak's pretty deep into his career. Paiva's pretty early, but he's also had some weird performances lately. Both of those guys are pretty fun. Um, Roival's the new one. I don't Actually, Cape versus Roival might be pretty fun. Because Roival's very kicky, but also the kind to just walk into counterpunches right. for fun.
0: be <laughs> <The> chaos. <laughs> yeah. And if you have any questions about, like, Cave's ground game, like, uh, you know, Roival doesn't really have takedown defense, but... Just the chaotic nature of the fight would probably lead it to the ground and in some capacities. You'd be like, "Okay, does he have like baseline submission defense?" I think he does. Um, yeah, but yeah, you know, definitely. Think there's a lot more to learn about him, and a lot more matchups to uh, to figure it out. So I think I think he's interesting. Still, he's young, right?
1: Yeah. Uh, okay. Let's see.
0: We do our research. Beforehand. Definitely, we We're have all these pages you pulled the up the audience to try to come up with the answer.
1: Okay, he's 27 years old. Let's see when he started. He's 15 and 5, so 20 fights isn't super early. But uh, when did he started he debut fighting professionally. 2012, so oh, he's, nine he's years open. ago? He's okay. Yeah. He's he has a little bit time. of time.
0: Yeah, he has a little bit of time. He's like three it's flyweight, tough to say. Yeah, that's true. And you don't even know what the mileage is and what the training is like. And there's a lot. I, I mean, based on his style being a lot predicated on attributes. Uh, yeah. I would expect a decline when you, whenever that happens physically, but on the other hand, I think he's pretty tricky, and he has a little more depth than he showed in that fight, especially with, like, he showed it a little bit like the darts and a lot of the angle changes. Um, yeah, just a lot of uh, good good pivoting work. He, he's got some stuff. He's got some slick stuff. And yeah, you need to be fast and agile to do that, but, I mean, Eddie Alvarez was doing it deep, deep into his career. so And
1: against better pressures than probably existed sure. flyweight. For sure.
0: Yeah. so I don't think it's over for him at all um, that was just a not a good performance uh, in terms of fight IQ but it didn't, he didn't seem to be lacking in any other regard except imagination <laughs> cool so that fight was bad but it wasn't bad it was a good performance for Pantoja Pantoja looked smart um, smart and good And yep. we didn't compliment him at all we were just being sad about Gabe but there you go <laughs> Uh, was your favorite fight on the card, Benil Darius versus CDF? Yeah, pretty easily. I don't think anything else was particularly close. It did get fight of the night, but why else was it special to you?
1: I mean, Benil Darius, that's kind of the easy answer. Um, it's kind of nuts how... Successful like I think the my so I've been watching back through his run preparing for this podcast And I think the funniest thing is you can see his confidence grow from fight to fight in exchanges Like it shouldn't necessarily be confident because he's like super defensively liable But you can also see him like learning how to weaponize it if that makes sense like against Tiago Moises um, Darius was just not there for exchanging whatsoever. He turned into a grappling match every single time Moises touched him Um, Against Drew Dober again. He kind of got whooped on the feet and he turned into a grappling match And then, against Camacho, he was like, I don't need to brawl, I'll just stay on the outside. Which was, like, kind of a development from that. Because, you know, Camacho is a very aggressive, forward-moving fighter, and Darius was just like, okay, I'm gonna learn how to deal with you, but I'm still not going to engage the exchanges. I'm gonna pick you off from the outside. And then, it feels like in the close fight, he kind of learned that he could weaponize the exchanges more than he thought he could, in, like, the weirdest way. So, you know, he tried to grapple in the beginning, and then he's walked him down at the end and murderized him. And against Holtzman and especially CDF, his thing was just these wild, crazy exchanges where he, like, it's like he gained confidence back in his chin after uh, Hernandez. And I think it's really interesting because if you look at CDF, he pretty much Max Hollowayed Merbeck Tysumov in 100-degree heat through, like, 300 strikes in three rounds. And in this fight, he gassed out in like a round, and I think a lot of that was his bino Darius' approach, where CDF was just so used to being the guy with the initiative. Uh, he was, you know, able to push Pettis back pretty easily, because it's Pettis, but, um, you know, Pettis was a counter puncher, but he wasn't taking the front foot actively. Uh, Taisumov, the same thing. He wasn't, he was a very good counter puncher, and he was not taking the the front foot, he was taking the back foot. And this time, Darius just flipped the script, and CDF was just kind of pooped after a round and a half, which was... Pretty wild to see.
0: He uh, also ate a big old knee to the body in the first round. Yeah, that's
1: another thing. Uh, <laughs> Darius very active at hitting the body in this fight. Uh, a lot of kicks, that big knee. I think he landed like a couple punches, not really, but he knew what he was doing. It was very impressive to me.
0: The uh, the scariest part of the fight was definitely every time, either every time that Darius decided to pressure to the cage with punches or any time <laughs> there just was any sort of pocket exchange going on because it wasn't like he wasn't, wasn't a threat there, too. It was just like, okay, one of you can probably afford to get hit clean while throwing in this exchange, it's probably not Benny. Um, yeah. He got, you know, grazed a few times, like it looked a little ugly a couple times, but I don't think he actually got hit very hard.
1: Yeah, there was like the end of round one where he got hit hard a couple times, but round two was mostly the grappling where he started drawing out um, CDF's punches and shooting underneath them. And round three, he started taking a little bit more proactive defensive measures. He was like, weaving off his overhand and pulling back to counter with the 1-2. The so he had a pretty good read on CDF's offense late. It's not a fight where I'd favor him over five rounds still, but it's a it was a pretty impressive performance, all things considered. Like, you could see where he's thinking about the fight in a way that you don't necessarily see with fighters who are better at things.
0: Yes. Um, what's different about Benil Darius from what you consider his prime and now? What... what changes, you know, skill, weapon-wise, and physically, and everything. You're the expert.
1: Mm, I mean, well, physically, I think he's weirdly not super different. I think, like, his durability issues were mostly just, you know, getting hit in the face by is pretty rough. And um, Hernandez has kind of shocked him. I don't really treat the Hernandez loss as anything big for him. Uh, I did at the time, but, you know, with the benefit of hindsight. Uh, Even like two fights after that, I was like, okay, this is not a a loss that says awful things about Benny's durability compared to the rest of his career. Uh, He's never been a particularly great cardio fighter. Uh, The fight to point to there is Rashid Magomedov. I think Daryush is just, as I mentioned, I think it's just a a big confidence thing where he's kind of learning how to deal in exchanges, and he's gaining a little bit more poison in in terms of just conceptual understanding, where he's still not very clean. He's an awful mechanical puncher. Uh, he's very ugly in exchanges, he's getting hit a decent amount uh, when he's like leading, but it's also the kind of thing where he's willing to just keep it going, keep it going, keep it going until uh, his opponent is just forced to back off. It's a very weird, it kind of reminds me of what Overeem did against uh, Augusto Sakai, where Overeem was just, he was the notably fragile party, but he was just like, okay, uh, you keep trying to hit me, but I'll just make you back up. It doesn't make any sense, but it somehow works because he just had the poise to make it work. So. In terms of offense, I think Darius is still pretty similar uh, in terms of what he does on the outside. You could still see the south a double attack show up against um, Camacho and against Vic. So, like, you know, there's like a couple years between those performances. He's polished a lot of things up, but he's also had to compensate for like losing a little bit of speed and maybe even losing a little bit of cardio because, like, the the Magomedov fight was in Mexico City. I don't think you could do that again. So, uh, yeah, I mean, decent amount of differences, but he's still the same guy. It's worth noting he was. Uh, number nine back in like 2015 so it's Mm -hmm. uh the more things change the more they stay the same
0: yes i wonder because i always have my opinions poisoned by ryan's opinions (laughs) whenever i like haven't formed my opinion yet and then i see ryan's it's usually pretty severe first of all because he only speaks in absolutes in mma because he doesn't (laughs) care enough to try to be careful about what he's saying he just, you know, goes ahead and declares people done or not. It's very, I think that's where Danny got it, honestly. like <laughs> they're very similar. Um, but he, he was saying that, like, CDF is washed and, like, probably done. He's, he's old. He looked old. Um, I, I don't know about that, right? Because, I mean, his yeah, pressure not... got countered really early, and he didn't get to fight his kind of fight. And that could have happened at any point during this run, right? Like, I don't think it necessarily has anything to do with cdf getting worse and you know in fact he looked in better shape than than ever and he had cool hair which is usually a good sign as we <laughs> discussed in the edgar fight so i don't know do, do you think he still has a future in this division i don't think he's a title challenger i think just the demonstration of how to deal with his game by someone with that competency was there but also i think benny's kind of unique um yeah on the other hand it's like charles Oliveira could basically give him the same problems but I don't know. Yeah,
1: I mean, I think I'm kind of in the same place. Uh, CDF's wrestling did not look very good. Like at the there, beginning of the that, fight. That, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you could see even at the beginning of the fight where he was like defending a single and he just decided to like jump on a flying Omo against Benil Dariush, which like makes absolutely zero sense. Um, I think a lot of his grappling is kind of the same philosophy as just striking, which is just all offense all the time. But, you know, I think there are a lot worse wrestlers than Benil Dariush up at the top of the division. Uh, I, before this, I was saying he's top five. I've amended that significantly. As much as I love Benny, Benny isn't top five in the division at this point, And CDF has just lost to him. But wow. I think it's... Yeah, I know. I've betrayed him. It's very sad. But um, I think CDF is definitely... He has a future among the top ten. If I look at the rankings now, uh, happily, I think Ally Quint has been kicked down to number 13. So there's something. But He's still, um, he's
0: still up there. Though. He's still your ticket into the rankings. <laughs>
1: Yeah, Demiris Magulov should be campaigning for that fight. But, I mean, Fajeda versus Felder, I don't think that's completely uninteresting with Fajeda's uh, decent offensive wrestling, his pressure. Uh, Fajeda-Hooker, I mean, that's the thing. I'm not really sure whether Fajeda gassing out was a thing of him being old, as Ryan said, or just not really playing a role in this fight that he's used to. Like, we've seen it a lot, right? Like, when pressure fighters get backed up, when anyone gets backed up, you've said before, a good back foot game is like the hardest thing to do in the sport against a good pressure. We saw like, that's why we were so impressed with Tarek Safaty and doing it against RDA for right. three whole rounds. It just doesn't happen. And Benil Darius is at the very least a competent pressure and he's definitely an aggressive, willing pressurer. So if you look at Fejeda like, if you look at Fejeda against Hooker for instance, he could gas if Hooker comes out pressuring. But I also kind of feel like Hooker gasses first because Fejeda is going to come out and put tons of volume on him. and. This is still, I think it's still fairly similar to the guy who went out and put an ungodly amount of volume on Merab Tysimov, which right. is way harder to do than, than I think people think. So, yeah, I'm not, I wouldn't go if Fajeda looks old. I think he still has a future in the top 10. But I think Ryan's kind of correct in saying that we overestimated him before. Oh, yeah, for sure.
0: Yeah. But it's so hard to tell before you see someone who's equipped to do what happens to them. Yeah, though. that's it's true. There's maybe there's other times where where like you see signs of something you're like okay like, someone who's at least at good as good at that I, I can't speak someone who can do that too, or is better or can offer a similar look like they could probably give them a lot of issues which is why like. Because of what Justin Gaethje did to Tony Ferguson, that confirmed our suspicions of what we thought the whole time, and he was getting like hit on entry versus anthony pettis and versus cowboy and like that we saw that coming miles away like Counterpunchers are going to ruin his day um michael johnson michael johnson yes <laughs> 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 uh, it's all it's always been there um some people didn't see it because they're not as smart as we are and they made fun of us for all picking gaichi and the staff picks but who's laughing now that's right <laughs> then they got their revenge with nganu rosenstreik So that's true um, us us and reddit are are tied eternally Um, (laughs) we won't post our records because we're cowards that's what they say Uh, and it's actually because we're too lazy to keep track of our records because why would we do that (laughs) (laughs) the picks aren't even that important that's like half like not even that's a small amount of the work we do anyway um but yeah i uh i don't feel dumb for thinking cdf was good um i think we just learned more yeah that's okay uh, I mean, that's the
1: thing with the yeah. small sample size in MMA. You face like, what, 10, 15 people in the UFC generally. Right. It's just tough to, like, we saw him face Benil Daryush before, which, like, could have been a clue, but also, like, he changed a lot or so it appeared. So, you know, it's tough to say. That's
0: I think why, CDF is still good. That's why amateur wrestling is the superior sport because everyone wrestles each other all the time, multiple times. And, like, in college, they have over 30 matches a year, same people multiple times within the year, and then they do that for four years, and you have so much data. <laughs> It's crazy. Is Same it with they, Muay Thai. Yeah, Muay Thai, they fight each other all the time. But, you know, then there's obviously diminishing returns because uh, yeah. eventually they get washed. Although the lifespan of a college wrestler and a uh, Nakamui is probably pretty similar with how quickly they burn <laughs> out. But <laughs> start of age five and are done by their you know 22nd birthday. But interesting. Those are very similar sports. First time yeah. thinking about that. Uh, besides, I thought Devontae Smith looked kind of good. Um, uh, was there anything else in this card that stood out to you?
1: Uh, let's see. I mean, I don't... I remember really only paying attention to the top five fights, if I'm honest, as the rest were, like, Danilo Marquez versus Mike Rodriguez. Right,
0: that was just uh, a bad display of <laughs> badness. Yeah. Uh,
1: Timur Valiev did some decent wrestling things or so, I heard. Uh, he pretty much just top game Martin Day. Uh, Samu Choi versus Yusuf Zalal wasn't completely a, Well, it was a bad fight. But it was a <laughs> decent showing from Seng Wu Choi. Uh, he just, you know, pressured... Because ring ringcraft is, I think, the big thing keeping him yes. away from a lot of the success that he could be having. Like, he fights like a very ringcrafty fighter. You know, lots of squared up circling on the outside. But he's not very good at it. And when guys blitz him, he just backs straight up. It's like the difference between a Elias Theodoru and an Eddie Alvarez is what they do when guys actually come forward at them. Um, That's the only so, difference between them. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Both are equally punchers. But... Yeah, I mean, Senwoo Choi is apparently the Korean Muay Thai champion,
0: which... Of all of was Korea?
1: All of Korea, North even North Korea. <laughs> I think, a I don't know, I have to look it up, actually. But, yeah, I mean, he at one point he, like, threw a combo off a kick, which kind of proved it, because MMA fighters don't do that. But, yeah, I mean, bad fight, I don't know why I'm talking about it, but it's the only thing what
0: that no, happened I, on this card. I, I didn't see about. it, but I, I did, like, see people on Twitter saying that Choi did some cool stuff. Like, had some good combination ideas and and showed his uh, Muay Thai national championness. Um, (laughs) But yeah, for Zalal, it's like, I think he's got a lot of skills. But, you know, like, bigger conceptual things that are important. Like, being in good positions to do things (laughs) is uh, a little lacking. And he's like, yeah, like you said, he's always been trying to, like, be an outside fighter and do a lot. And, like, show that he's well-rounded and show that he's technical it's it's the classic mma trap of oh i'm going to show how technical i am by being an outfighter cuz that's you know the most technical style of, of fighting um, which is i think not right but it's, yeah. it's you know the trap people fall into all the time maybe not even just in mma but i think just overall combat sports has a weird fetish with outfighters and like defensive fighters and like that it requires more skill than being properly offensive i think they're just different different games that each have their difficulties and you know pros and cons and all that so just wanted to get on that soapbox real quick but yeah i think when you do that Very sometimes true. in mma you lack focus i think Zalal's game lacks focus and if he could you know zero in on a few different ways he wants to attack and ways that he wants to deal with certain styles i think it would be better than maybe something that seems less game planned where he's like i am just good and i'm just going to exist in this fight and be good at you <laughs> but he's not that good to pull that off. It's like what Rory McDonald did a lot um, later yeah. on. But Rory yeah, that's was the thing. Like, skilled and physical. Yeah, like
1: Zolal could easily do that against, like, Peter Barrett, but. or Like, Sing Wu Choi is, at the very least, kind of competent in several things. Right,
0: right. And he said he pressured, so, I mean, I just that alone, being a guy who is a pressure fighter, it changes a lot. If you watch like, uh, Ilya Taporia versus Zolal. Oh, yeah um i mean that was a complete shutdown more or less besides like the times where toporia looked a little tired but i mean that's a pressure fighter who hits the body and hooks a lot uh kicks the legs you know changes levels wrestles on the cage does reactive takedowns like basically anything <laughs> any way that well <laughs> wanted to fight and that one he could deal with it um but then you saw like he was still competitive in a lot of exchanges and like he tried to turn the tables and take Topuria down. He gassed him a little bit, and he, he hung tough with him on the ground. Like he's, He can make fights difficult for people. So, I don't know. Maybe Choi is better than some people think he is. I don't know. You're the only person I've heard be down on him. So, maybe he's better than you think he is, even though I haven't seen the fight, just because the law makes things ugly for people.
1: Well, to be entirely fair, I think his losses before this were Gavin Tucker and Muzar.
0: So, yeah. he could be Those pretty, pretty decent. Yeah. I love how you say moves are. I don't know if that's right or not, but I think it's it's good. It's a good way to say it.
1: It's because his moves are fantastic.
0: Oh. Uh, <laughs> you've made that joke before, but I didn't connect that that's why you're pronouncing it that way. Um, nah, it's just
1: how I normally pronounce it, but the joke connects. Gotcha. Uh,
0: yeah. I mean, I didn't really talk about wrestling at all on that <laughs> for this whole segment, but uh, I did my podcast on it. I, I basically just do the wrestling version of our podcast for my podcast because it's like all there is to do right now is just cover the events that are going on. So I'm not going to repeat myself. You have to go listen to the other podcasts for that.
1: Yeah. I listen to all the podcasts.
0: I don't listen to any of our podcasts, but you should listen to all of them.
1: I listen to some of our podcasts.
0: <laughs> the ones that we do are like other people's. Part and of no, I've side. been on
1: these podcasts. Like why would I listen to myself a yeah, exactly. second time?
0: I was already there. Yeah. <laughs> I was live. Um, Sweet on Saturday something will be live how about that transition uh, very nice UFC <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was smooth and uh, A plus segue yeah there's a title fight in the main event but don't be fooled into thinking that means that it's a deep card cause it's not but uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah how do you want to do this go main event and down and see what else we care about as we go down yeah might as well oh wait first rest in peace uh, Munoz versus Rivera too that was going to be good that was gonna be the best one. That fight is lost is lost to us. We did gain G. a uh, another pretty interesting fight out of that. Not out of that but lost, but I think they did some rearranging based on some other mm. losses. No, it was because of Cody Stamen pulling out yeah. last week. Who was Chris Gutierrez supposed to fight?
1: I, I don't think he was supposed to fight anyone, he, he just, just filled in. out,
0: getting ready. Yeah. Alright. But yeah. Andre Ewell's fighting Chris Gutierrez. That's that's a new fight. And I think yeah. that's a pretty cool one. But alright, so main event. Uh, I don't know. I'm writing off Gilbert Burns. How about you? <laughs>
1: yeah, pretty much. I think... I mean, Burns is dangerous. I liked his performance against Woodley a lot, honestly, just because, like, I don't really... So at this point, beating Woodley in itself, you kind of have to be like, okay, end. And, and uh, Gilbert Burns was, <laughs> was pretty impressive in terms of that end, just because he did some nice stuff with his lead hand. He pulled off some decent entries with, like, that uh, little raised lead leg. Uh, where he'd like kick through the open side of his lead leg a lot, and then just hop in behind that raised lead leg. Um, he jabbed a little bit. He left hooked a bunch. He left hooked off that leg kick. I think there's a lot to take from that fight against other fighters. It's just that Kamaru Usman's just not going to give him the front foot whatsoever. Um, like it's going to take a lot to back up Kamaru Usman with uh, his sharp pressure footwork, his increasing ability to counter punch, and his uh, reactive shots and his general open space takedowniness. So. That brings us to the question of Gilbert Burns' ring craft, and it's not very good, in my opinion. Uh, if you look at the Maya fight, he was walked to the fence very early and clinched, and Usman doesn't even need to take him down from there. He can just smash his body from like that over under. Uh, he can, you know, stomp the feet, which is something that isn't super effective, but has somehow gained a lot of purchase with um, his public perception. But in general, Usman's a very good clinch fighter, and I don't really trust Burns there. Uh, output is another big thing. I don't really trust Burns down the stretch after that Kuchenko fight, which Burns did not win. So, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much writing burns off outside of like a, a big round one punch that turns Usman off.
0: I think the worst thing you said there was that foot are like foot stomps aren't that effective. I think they they're. I, I'm trying to imagine like I, like I stub my toe or like I hit I kick something that's too hard and like this is, like someone steps in your foot by accident like they're wearing shoes. I don't know, like he, he a lot of the time he's just like, okay, foot like flat of his foot on the on the top of your foot. And that probably doesn't look like it hurts that bad, but I'm sure he gets yeah. a few in there where it's like heel on like the bone of your foot. Like you do that hard enough, it get a bruise and that's hard to push off on it. Like it's it's something. But uh also, think about it this way, this is probably why he does it. Um, probably why anyone does it, is he gets these good positions on on the fence where he has to have his hips in super tight. Like under hooks or like, you know, something like Blocking the waist with his hand on one side, which is like the most power move thing he does. Honestly, because <laughs> he doesn't even have an underhook or a wizard or anything like that. He's just blocking your hips with his with his hand on one side, and then he has like a real tie, like a or like a you know collar tie or wizard underhook. It's usually an underhook on the other side. He'll go like wrist underhook or like hip underhook. Um, but he gets real tight with his with his hips when he does that. So like to pin you with his hips and his head and his shoulder and everything. So really, the only thing that's there in that range is the foot stomp and you know every once in a while he'll transition and open up some space and go off on you, or if he like gets a really good hold in a different position where there's more space. Um like someone like RDA like makes space on his own, like he frames off and he like actively tries to create the space before he can circle out. And Usman was just kinda of letting him sometimes so you could hit him hard <laughs> and like, <laughs> stuff like that. So like clinching with Usman is a nightmare, but you know, best case scenario for him, he just does nothing. And holds that one position, just stomps the crap out of your foot, um, and then like I mean, from underhook and from underhook and hip holder or, or wrist, you can transition to takedown attempts really easily from there, depending on what they're doing about your underhook. And if they're wizarding super tight, uh, you can still get to a single because <laughs> your other arm is free and you can reach the single from there. And he's got long arms, uh, but if they're not doing that, you can you can do a lot of stuff. And he also goes body lock from there if he turns you off and like gets the body lock from there. Um, so he's, he's amazing against the, the cage. That's like one out of 50 things that he does there. <laughs> um, Burns, on the other hand, like you said, Ringcraft, not, not great. Uh, Gunnar Nelson moved him around a bunch. Uh, Damian Maya put him on the cage immediately. Uh, Kunchenko was moving around the cage a lot. Um, this was a while ago, but he did get wrestled by Michel Perserish. Um But even, oh, like, yeah. even not in the context of, of that fight, just like with the Gunnar-Nelson fight, for example. I mean, there were grappling exchanges. There were a lot of wrestling exchanges. There was a lot that happened, a lot of clinching. And it was just very competitive. (laughs) It was very competitive. And, like, I don't want to, like, MMA math it because (laughs) Gunnar-Nelson was also competitive with Leon Edwards in a lot of stretches, um, wrestling and grappling. But (sighs) Usman is a better clinch (laughs) control artist than, than Leon.
1: Yeah, there are things to take from, like, Nelson being competitive with Edwards in terms of an Usman fight, and it's the same thing here. Even yeah. though, like, I rate Edwards more than Burns, it's... For sure. Gunnar Nelson isn't necessarily the one you want to be struggling with in the clinch in an Usman fight. Yeah,
0: and the problem here is that Gilbert Burns, his A game is his top game. He wants to be the wrestler top gamer. Um, he wants to, you know, do what Usman does, except, you know, he usually takes, like, more explosive outside shots and tries to get to, like, body locker or standing positions and hit big finishes there he had the um i don't know what it's called the outer reaping throw off the um off the wizard with his back against the cage um that big that big wizard toss uh it might be her i i don't know but like Nate diaz used to do it uh jimmy heddis used to do it if anyone used to watch jimmy heddis <laughs> but a lot of guys uh, have gone for it i think that's the one where um It might have been Kadis Ibrahimov versus Ed Herman, where he grunts super loudly trying to do it. He doesn't lower his hips at all. He just tries to completely shoulder torque it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, Burns hit that. So he's got some judo, uh, a a lot of upper body stuff. But I mean, Usman's better there. Usman's better on the leg attacks. Usman's better in the cage. So like his A game is really shut down. Like you saw when RDA tried to shoot on Usman. He didn't even defend it normally. He just went crotch lock and like sat through. I uh, to the hip and turned him around and got the front headlock like it was nothing. He's like try to take me down. I'll go freestyle on you. It's um, <laughs> like counter it and like not even tr- take it that seriously. So, anyway, if you've watched any cl- clips of him wrestling, he is just super super slick uh, through a scramble in his defense. And I think people view Usman as someone who's stiff. If that makes sense, because of like yeah. his, his striking can be kind of clumsy. Like, the arm yeah. punches a lot, but and, and like they're like, oh, he has knee problems, but. When he, like, actually has to hustle at all in, like, a grappling or wrestling situation, he looks, like, so smooth and, like, it's easy for him. You know what I mean? So, like, that kind yeah. of motion with the strength is really hard to top, and he knows what he's doing in all these positions.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, I think the, the other half of the issue with the clinch is that Burns, even outside of the Gunnar Nelson fight, right? If you look at the Woodley fight, I think there was a rough separation in that fight. Because Burns was like in the clinch with Woodley, and they were just doing the
0: thing that Woodley does, where like uh-uh. they grab the over under and like stretch
1: all the way back,
0: I have and to both of about them were the would Woodley fight, because I don't remember it, and I'm not gonna rewatch that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was a pretty fun fight in space. It's just that in the clinch, Burns was not looking very good whatsoever, and like that was the point in the fight where I was like, okay, is Burns gonna gas and somehow throw this away? So it was, I think. That, first of all, that's the situation where Usman's really good because Woodley tried that on him se- several times to try to like break the lock on the over under, and Usman just like kind of let go and punched the shit out of his ribs. So, that's pretty worrying. <laughs> I don't like. I think if there's like hope for Burns here, it's like Usman was pretty hittable against Colby Covington, and in general, Usman's like he's defensively kind of decent when he knows what's coming. Like against Tyron Woodley, it was it's this big right hand, I have to come up with specific responses for it, and he did, and he pretty much didn't get hit once mm-hmm. by it, but against Colby Covington it was just all this, like, mad volume uh, from all sides, and Usman was kind of like, okay, I don't like this very much, but Burns, he can be a swarmer, but that also opens up the reactive shot for Usman, so I don't I don't really think this is a good fight for
0: Gilbert Burns. Exactly. Like, we keep talking about Usman's A-game, like his wrestling and grappling, we just talked about how Burns' A-game probably isn't going to work his wrestling and grappling, Um <laughs> But that, that's the dynamic, is even though Burns' whole thing is, oh, he's this great grappler, he's not really the type to you know, be dangerous off his back or out-scramble Usman off his back either. I believe he had one of his first fights in the UFC. It might have even been, been his debut. I do have a memory of him uh, submitting someone off his back. And I believe it was... No, it was the... I think it was the Alex Oliveira play, Alex Cowboy. I think Alex Cowboy was beating him up on the feet, and he, like, pulled an arm bar out of his butt at the end. I don't know if it was on his <laughs> back, but he definitely... It was more of a, uh, you know, quick, quick submission than the, the very positional, uh, methodical stuff you think of now with him. Um, yeah. So, yeah, his his... The whole thing of him being a great grappler might not even factor in that much <laughs> because he's not going to get to his <laughs> good positions. Um... Yeah, it's just him pressuring Usman. That's the only thing. Is I just want to see what it looks like when they exchange, and it's hard not to think about Usman as like throw awkwardly and, and big in the pocket kind of guy because what his last fight was it was Masvidal, right? Yeah, it was Masvidal, and he looked really sloppy yeah. in those positions. Yeah. But he was also like half throwing with him, half reaching just to try to put his back on the cage again because it was happening so close to the cage. <laughs> And I mean his his striking did look dialed in from a defensive standpoint when he's just like letting Mosfidal try stuff. He was like parrying the kicks really well and it looks good otherwise. And uh he is full time I think with Whitman now. So he can't be yeah. getting worse as a counterpuncher, and he already looked good as one versus Colby. Um and I mean he, he's gonna know a lot of what Burns does already, so that's even more beneficial for a counter puncher in my opinion, if you can already yeah, start to make true. the reads beforehand. Um, and just the training experience, he seems very confident. I haven't really been following Burns on social media, but just everything seems to point to Usman knowing what's going to yeah. happen here, and uh, I th- believe there was... I think I talked about this on the on the other podcast too, this is all I have to go off. I be- Someone shared an, inter- like an interview clip that's supposed to be for this fight, and it was Usman saying he, he doesn't have what it takes to be a champion. I'm like, whoa. This is a sick burn. It's like, <laughs> so mean. Um, did you buy into any of that, like the, the their teammates thing? Uh,
1: I mean, it's something that I think Fanyo pointed out, that fights between teammates can kind of be weird. Um, I think, I mean, Burns might have a decent approach planned out for Usman, just in terms of, you know, what he likes to do. But the fact that they're in different camps at this point kind of makes it less relevant. And Usman's such a versatile wrestler anyway, that like if Burns is like, okay, he likes to, you know shoot the single or whatever. If it's if Burns has like something specific planned out, Usman's probably just going to plan around it. He has so many areas of expertise. Um, uh, Usman, If anything, Usman's the one who can like more specifically go through uh, things that Burns does and have the skill set to actually deal with it. So, yeah, I mean...
0: This I think is going to be the time is... where we're not going to see it coming. Sorry to interrupt you. You can no start again in a second. I'm sorry. I just I have to get the thought out. <laughs> um, this is definitely going to be the time where we've been calling for someone to pressure a pressure grappler. Like turn it around on him. If this is the time, I'm gonna be so mad that Burns does this.
1: <laughs> I'd be very impressed. I mean, I think I don't. I mean, Colby tried to. He didn't really pressure. Colby he played the outside and yeah, fight mostly to it
0: like he did in his other fights. But yeah, it's but I mean,
1: pressured. he didn't. Yeah, he did try to like overwhelm him with volume at certain points and like certain exchanges. But it wasn't really a pressure thing. So like, I don't think anyone's really tried it. Nardier was never really in position to, even though he's a natural pressure fighter. So. I mean, it could be something, but uh, anything that Burns does, I feel like it's just going to be, like, limited success, just because Usman's, like, A, he has the output edge and, like, the cardio edge down the stretch, and B, he's just so much more versatile and has his A game at his disposal more, so, yeah, I mean, I think Burns is, to go off of what I was saying earlier, I think Burns is, he's definitely an elite in the division Uh, at this point, I think he'd beat someone like Colby Covington, he'd give, I mean, I don't know what he'd do with the others, but Colby Covington's supposed to be elite, so close enough, but, I think he's an elite in the division. As unimpressed I have been by like the quality of his opposition during his rise. Right. But it's this is a tough fight for him. Like even if he were like really, really good and certifiably elite, Usman's just a brick wall.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I yeah, I, I rate him as much as I rate like any of the the good hoofed grappler strikers. You know what I mean? It's the yeah. same, basically, the same thing. Of hoof takes a great wrestler. And makes them into a competent kickboxer who, you know, hits really hard and is athletic. That's essentially what we have here uh, yeah. with Burns. It's just, this is the worst guy for any of them to fight. It's like, he does the same thing as them, but it's it's like the Rockhold to the, to, to AKA, where he's like, yeah. this is the guy that exists to beat everyone else in the camp. Like he is the <laughs> one that can shut all of you down. But for Rockhold, it was like developing counters to everything. It was when it's like, I am better at that than you. So you cannot do it to me because by principle, <laughs> being a better wrestler than you and like being able to shoot reactively and like, counter and go to the body a lot and, and be better in the clinch than you, being that good in the clinch is so OP because even if so like, You don't even need good ring craft, really, because <laughs> you just yeah. need to make collisions and ta-da, or clinched. Um, I mean, yeah, you <laughs> saw that with Edwards RDA. Like,
1: that's the second time I'm mentioning the fight, but RDA was able to get Edwards to the fence a lot and Edwards was just like, okay... Uh, I'm in the clinch now.
0: Ta-da. That's, uh, to continue being a doomer about this, that's why Gaethje Khabib is so annoying, because he didn't need to do that. didn't Uh, need to fight like that. (laughs) He could have collided so much more. He could have pressured. He could have been less, you know, insane and panicked about not having them get close together. Like, the UIs being close together near the cage is 80 times worse than it happening (laughs) in the center of the cage. And same with Dustin. So annoying. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe they, they know things about their clinch games that I don't know. But. So yeah, I, I'm definitely picking Usman. You too? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I don't think he'll finish him, but I think it'll be uh, fairly fairly one-sided. I think Burns will probably get his licks in just because, like I said, Usman's not perfect in the pocket. He's definitely hittable there. Burns has a lot of good tools. He's going to use them. Some of them will land. Um, but you know, Ber- Usman also seems pretty durable. And uh, Burns did get knocked out at lightweight, but he seems... Uh, did, Woodley didn't hurt him, did he?
1: Yeah, Woodley didn't really touch him that much, so he, it's tough to He hurt to say. Woodley,
0: so I mean, yeah. he hits hard, but um, I'm not crazy concerned about that. Yeah,
1: I mean, I'm more excited for this fight than I was for uh, Covington, Usman, or, like, Masvidal on two weeks' notice against Usman, but that's mostly because, like, Burns poses some genuine danger because he's, like, prone to just going into these massive, wild combinations. Right. and. You know, that's something that Usman's not necessarily immune to if he doesn't, you know, get a clean entry on the reactive shot or whatever. It's just like nobody except Leon Edwards has a big picture strategy as reliable as Kamaru Usman's. And it's just the best you can hope for is someone like Burns who probably isn't going to win but might land a a big shot or two.
0: Right, right. He's just going to have to, if he's going to win, he's going to have to win by competing in the positions they end up in. He's not going to have a lot of success dictating. Where the fight exactly. is, he's just going to have to be dangerous in a bunch of different places. Yeah. Um, what other fights on this card, moving moving down, would you be interested in speaking about?
1: Uh, okay, so I guess we kind of have to talk about Kelvin Gastelum versus Ian Heinisch because this is. You don't
0: have to, but if you, if you want to, um I know you're itching for it.
1: I mean, that's true. I mean, I think we have to because it's going to be very funny, and <laughs> it's like. It's just a very middleweight fight in the in the best way, so yeah. Calvin Gastelum is like the the division's prodigal son. Uh, he's not particularly great at many things, but he's very fast and he's a southpaw who can punch. Uh, he's decently powerful in exchanges and like uh, I don't know what else to say. Defensively, not all that. Uh, Ian Heinisch is like a, a weird scrambler. He's like okay, he's he's an anti grappler. Kind of, not really. He's not. I, w- I don't want to call him an anti-wrestler because he definitely isn't that. It's not like he that. does
0: anything on purpose yeah. that like specifically makes him tough. He's just, he's just like what we're talking about, being dangerous in positions, being competitive in positions. Yeah. He's competitive in those positions in a way that makes grapplers get really tired trying to grapple him.
1: Yeah, it's like a lot of uh, Granby rolling and like just weird shit like that. Mm-hmm. So Ian Heinish is just like, I think the shoe face fight and uh, someone else. But he pretty much uh, beat Cesar both of them Batansi by...
0: Faheya.
1: Ah, yeah. So both guys were just trying to hold on to Heinisch a lot, and Heinisch just kind of hustled them until they gassed out and beat them up. Uh, and the the other fight that he won was Gerald Mearschardt, which kind of doesn't say much, because Mearschardt is like very slow and fragile, but Heinisch just played the wrestling threat off the overhand, I think this is a fight where Heinish might just win on enthusiasm, which is really funny to me because Gastelum was like, as much as I don't like saying it, Gastelum was like the closest to having a competitive fight with Izzy outside of Romero, huh. so...
0: I hate that, that that's true. I know. It's gross.
1: <laughs> like, that was, by the way, that was like Gastelum's best performance ever defensively, and he still kind of got whooped throughout the fight and then completely destroyed in round five, which says... A lot about where Gastelum's defense is normally, so yeah. I mean, I think Heinisch might just like try to hit Gastelum more. It's it's really impressive that Gastelum managed to lose to Jack Hermanson because Hermanson hates every single pressure southpaw puncher, mm-hmm. who isn't even particularly good at it. Like Marvin Vittori is probably even shallower than Gastelum on the feet, Whew. and. Vittori just was like, "I'm going to hit you with his left hand," and Jack was like, "Okay." And then Gastelum <laughs> found a way to get tapped out in like a minute and five seconds. So, yeah, I have no faith in Kelvin Gastelum anymore. But I Kelvin's feel like this could fault, be.
0: Though. That only went to the ground because Kelvin's like, "I'm going to lad drop this guy." <laughs> <laughs> Very true. And he
1: did. <laughs> it's just he's an enigma. He succeeded. I, I one time, I called Kelvin Gastelum like, bad middleweight Michael Johnson. And that just made it even more, like, significant. Because he made a bad decision and got wrecked, where normally he's just, like, durable southpaw puncher. Right. But, yeah. I mean, I think Heinish and Gastelum have a fun scrambling match for a round just because Gastelum's going to do something dumb and it's going to end up there. And then Heinish might just hustle him. What do you feel about this fight?
0: Well, the thing about Kelvin is that despite him seeming to be on a slide... Let's Think about two things. He looked fat on the scale more than usual. versus Darren Till, <laughs> he looked like he didn't show up for that fight. So that was always going to be a tough fight for him. But he looked like he had nothing, and like there wasn't like a lot of pop in what he was doing. And like physically, he looked declined. So like his normal amount of stupidity, which I think Darren Till would have had, like still you know had an advantage against just because he's like a decently skilled counterpuncher now and can deal with a guy who only throws one twos. He's like I am ready for one twos. Um, <laughs> And, you know, he, he had like a, like two responses prepared. He just used them the whole fight, and he had the length advantage, so he could see most of it coming. And, you know, Kelvin's closing speed, like the, the ability to explode over distance is a big part of his game, a big part of what makes him effective. And with that being compromised by both the matchup and him showing up, looking like he's pretty out of shape, um, which is not out of character for him at all. <laughs> like I think he can you know point to that a lot. So, The reason I want to clarify that is because it's different than being, like, unable to be good anymore. Like, you have guys who are always training their ass off and doing everything as close to perfect as possible besides their weight cutting. Like Aldo, who cannot stop the decline. Like, Aldo's version of stopping the decline is trying to fight in ways that that minimize and like, backpacking Marlon Vera for the entire (laughs) third round because he didn't have any more – he didn't have another round of striking cardio He's like, well, instead of just falling apart, I will grapple, which is what Hen and Barrow should have been doing. Um, <laughs> same camp. But, yeah, so with Gostelm, I don't know if we're there yet. I don't think there's, there's proof of that, because against Jack Hermanson, like, what, not a lot happened, and then he lat dropped him, and then his ground game was, is bad. <laughs> <It's>, yeah. <laughs> it just is. He's a good scrambler. That's not to he's, he's a good mat wrestler, but that doesn't mean he can do leg locks. So, <clears throat> and Hermanson's a good grappler. So there's that. Uh, that's always been a thing. Well, it's been a thing for most of his career at this point. I think he probably reached a certain point where he was a decent grappler and then probably neglected it um, a while later, which happens a lot. So I because think he is the best boxer in the sport. Yeah. So it's entirely possible that Calvin Gaston could show up and look about as good as he ever has um if he takes it super seriously. I haven't been watching like if there's embedded or anything like that. I haven't been watching yet, so I don't know. Uh so I think just, you know, picking highnish based on Kelvin being close to being done is probably not fair. But picking Heinish because he's looking a little smarter as a boxer <laughs> and he appears to have pretty big power and he's really hard to grapple. And does he have a good chin?
1: Uh I mean I don't he survived a fight with Brunson, so I mean I'm sure Brunson hit him a few times. I don't remember anything about that fight other than like Heinish walking out immediately kicking Brunson in the head.
0: So um, I mean and- stylistically it's not it's really not the worst matchup for Kelvin because like I don't think Heinish is that good at like closing distance and yeah. landing and stuff like that. And you know, Heinrich doesn't typically start the wrestling, and Kelvin doesn't typically try to wrestle offensively in fights against like Izzy, um, and yeah. apparently against Romanson for no reason. <laughs> he doesn't do it all that much these days. So I just think on paper, stylistically, it's not that bad for him. It's you know, a middleweight, obviously. It's a big middleweight, and big middleweights are always going to be an issue because Kelvin's not a middleweight. Um, yeah. he is a welterweight for sure so <clears throat> that that all factors in for me but I, I definitely don't trust Kelvin to show up and be in shape or anything like that there's no reason to suggest that it's just like I don't think it's because he's done I think it's just because he is undisciplined and doesn't always can't always show up the best he can be um, so I'm not going to pick him I'm going to go ahead and pick Ian Heinisch. <laughs> I don't know if we're doing picks but I'm going to go ahead and just pick Ian Heinisch because of that but uh, and I think Heinrich seems to be improving, and, and that could definitely show up in, in some degree. It's not a very confident pick, but those are just my musings.
1: Yeah, I mean, might as well. We did pick Usman, so I might as well go through and make picks. Mm-hmm. But I don't really have a feeling on this fight. As much as I don't like Gastelum, he does have like genuine athletic advantages over a lot of fighters. Uh, he's super durable. He's very quick for a middleweight, because he's not a middleweight, so he's, he's naturally quite quick. Um, he's a puncher. I think... That's the thing, is if I could trust Calvin to just like come out and try to punch with Heinish very often, I think he could win that fight. It's just that I don't really expect Gastelum to do that many things in fights. And this isn't like a Gastelum a shot thing, it's just like a right. general thing. Because right. like outside of the Adesanya fight, Gastelum's had a lot of performances that people who rate Gastelum highly would probably consider a bit weird. There's Hermanson, which was quick, but Till, um, Jacare was, like, a a gross, ugly, grimy fight. Uh, Weidman was a really bad performance from him outside of, like, that one
0: punch. Jacare, like, had an argument for winning, right? And top-gamed him for almost the entirety of one of the rounds.
1: Yeah, Jacare, at worst for me, it was a draw because Jacare 10 8 him in round one. And then nearly, like, could have won round three. So, like, that was a 29-27 Sosa for me. But... It's just one that Gasplum won on the strength of his athleticism, right? He was able to eat those big right hands and, um, and he dropped him once. just yeah, he dropped him in round two after Dracarys shot for a takedown. So too. <laughs> yeah, that's Kelvin's like claim to fame. He just drops people without ever beating them. So that's the thing. He he won that with his athletic advantages of being able to just eat those right hands and keep putting a pace on Souza, but. I also don't really know where Souza was in that fight, and the fact that, like, Kelvin's the only guy to have to fight off Souza from the bottom since, like, Timbosh at that point is kind of crazy. So I don't know. It's a weird fight. I think I'll go with Heinish too, just because I have no faith in Gastelum. It's just a a no-confidence vote. But, you know, it's it's a weird fight. It's middleweight.
0: Yeah. I'm sad that we spent so much time talking about that, because we're over an hour already, and I don't want to, like, spend equal amounts of time with the rest of the fights that we care about in this card. So yeah. let's try to let's let's try to be faster, you know, just for the sake of our listeners' time. But, Brevity. Uh, I do just for the record, I do care more about Bobby Green versus Jim Miller than definitely Kasselin versus Heinrich. I mean, yeah, I they, don't have as many things to yeah. say about it. I feel like they're both cause... in very similar places in their career. You know, like Miller is probably the the older veteran, but um, yeah. I feel like they're both in places where, like, yeah, they're probably worse. They're they're mm-hmm. post prime, um, but they still like. Have all their skill, and they're not physically that out of it. They just, you know, have lost some speed and maybe a little bit of durability and maybe a tiny bit of cardio because of that. Um, but I mean, they're just like slightly diminished versions of themselves, more or less. And Jim Miller's been showing up like a good version of his of himself, despite not being you know totally there. Um, but he wasn't some like physical threat that much in his prime either. So it's uh, it's not a huge change for either of them. I feel like it's not. These are guys who are aging well.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's one thing about Bobby Green is that a lot of people would argue he won Moises, he won Trinaldo, and he won Close. I think I gave Close to him, I did not give him Trinaldo, and I think I gave him Moises, but I'm not really sure. So, I don't, like, to a lot of people, he's on a 7-win streak, which doesn't really make sense because the matchmaking differs, obviously. But he's looking about as durable as he has in his post-prime years. Uh, He still can go pretty hard. He's still a very good clinch fighter. He's pretty solid at distance with uh, his defense being kind of, it's weird, but it works. And I think, I don't really have the energy to make a pick on this one Mm because I'm not really sure about where Jim Miller is. Like, I think Vince Pichel is, like, reasonably functional and it's not an awful fighter to lose to. But it's also not the kind of fighter Miller was losing to before. So, I don't know. Uh, I guess I'll go with Bobby Green, but it's close.
0: I'm going to go with Bobby Green as well. Uh, I just think he's been more consistent as of late. Um, he seems fired up, and he uh, he's pretty dangerous with his hands, and he's a, definitely a competent grappler, and he's not a bad wrestler. Um, at, at his core, at base, he's a better wrestler than Jim Miller, um, but a worse grappler and a, a better boxer and a maybe comparable overall striker, but just I think for where he's at in his career and just the way that they are matching up now that they're, I'll call them like diminished, um, I just think Bobby Green's chances of winning the fight at this point go up a lot uh, just because of the strengths he brings. He's the one that's going to, I mean as, as reductive that as it is, he's the one that's going to hit Miller hard in the face more often <laughs> than, than Miller doing it to him. Problem. And I think he's good enough to not get grappled a lot or if at all. He could get kicked. Um, Miller's got a pretty competent kicking game and seems to be very effective. I mean, he crippled Dustin Poirier. Um, it, w- it wasn't not a long time ago, but it wasn't super recent. Uh, but I don't know. I, I'm going to pick Green, too. That, that's his name. Yeah, Bobby Green. <laughs> I'm going to pick him, too. I think he's been looking all right. And um, I don't know. I think he's still got a, a lot of decent fights left in him. And Miller, it's like it's just a wonder that he's still going. You know, He's uh, 37, and he's been out of the very long time. I mean, Bobby Green's 34 and he's been... Let's 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 fact check this. <laughs> Jim Miller <laughs> pro debut 2005 and Jesus. Uh, 47, 48 fights. Um, so yeah. Over Bobby Green years, pro debut was in 2008. So. so three years later and not as many fights. <laughs> yes. Although still a lot of fights, almost 40. So comparable amounts of experience but like about times that they took a lot of damage definitely yeah on jim miller's side he's taken a lot more damage in his career than bobby green has um dustin's the only one that ever knocked him out no he retired in the stool to tim means but no not to tim means yes yes to tim means but (laughs) that's not really anything uh he's been knocked out once uh, so he's still looking (laughs) good whereas jim miller has taken taken some some punishment over his career. Not his Yeah, his a lot, but he's been hit hard a lot.
1: Yeah, I mean, he outside the, of the knockout recently, which was Dan Hooker. Like, after that Trinaldo fight, I thought Miller was just completely Oh my dumb. god, that
0: was vicious.
1: It was just a mauling. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, if we're going just by the strengths of their fights against Trinaldo, it's pretty easily <laughs> Bobby green. <laughs> That's
0: not a bad way to measure things.
1: But, yeah, next fight, let's take a look. So, we've got Rodolfo Villar versus Anthony Hernandez, that's middleweight. I don't care.
0: I covered it on the wrestling podcast, sort of. Not really, but we can skip it. <laughs>
1: uh, Bilal Muhammad versus Diego Lima. You mentioned uh, this is either a fun Bilal Muhammad performance or a, a sad outcome.
0: Right. I, not that I think Diego Lima totally sucks. and I think he's kind of figuring it out. But Bilal Muhammad has had good fights with better people than that. So I don't. I don't know. this is either Bilal Muhammad's going to be relevant at all in the division or he's not. That's kind of how it feels to me.
1: Yeah, the next one I'm not even going to mention, but Andre Ewell versus Chris Gutierrez. This one is very (laughs) fun to me.
0: Oh, hold on. Mallory Martin is an elevation fight team, so good luck to her.
1: Oh, yeah, good luck. That's all
0: we had to say. (laughs) That's it.
1: But, yeah, Andre Ewell versus Chris Gutierrez. Two, how do I want to call them? Journeymen, like gatekeepy? weights, Ewell's lost to... I don't
0: even know where to place them quite yet.
1: Yeah, I mean, I feel like they'd be around top 20 to 25-ish, but I'm not really that sure, because I feel like... So Ewell's lost to Chido Vera and to Nathaniel Wood, and Gutierrez has lost, I believe, only to Hani Barcelos. So both of them have some space to go up in the rankings, I think.
0: Yeah, the good Uh, thing about Gutierrez... Oh, sorry. Go go ahead, go go ahead. ahead. You go ahead.
1: No, what's the good
0: thing about Gutierrez? I need to know. Okay. The good thing about Gutierrez' losses is that it's to a wrestler and a wrestler. So at least, and I mean, I saw, I remember the Durden fight pretty clearly. He lost just because of, well, first of all, he lost because he was, had Durden had his back in the first round and he sat there. Yeah. With like the body triangle on and, and. Gutierrez into anything. So if Gutierrez has some big gaps, it's definitely in his grappling. But Ewell is also not a good grappler. So that that's very fortunate for Gutierrez, because that's the way he's lost so far. Whereas Ewell did get outstruck by Nathaniel Wood in, in addition to being out-wrestled and out-grappled.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the thing with Gutierrez Durden in addition is that Gutierrez got a 10-8 on the feet, which judges don't tend to recognize. Red got a 10 in on the ground, which judges do tend to wear. Nice. So cool. I think that was a pretty clear Gutierrez win. It's just that Gutierrez was like completely whooping him on the feet and the judges were like, okay, this is a
0: 10-9. But- that was the time that I started to think about the word anti-wrestling more. I, I shouldn't bring it up because I feel like Jack and Le- Leon I'd like just stopped bullying me about this. But <laughs> That's a good anti-wrestling fight. After he got you know grappled a lot in the first round, he said, okay, I need to fight in a way it makes it harder for him to wrestle me, so he started going to the body a lot more, his footwork got better, he was using a lot of like linear intercepting strikes, it was just a good uh, good performance to stifle a wrestler, if you want to go back and watch that one, but yeah, you go ahead. Uh,
1: yeah, I mean, I, I think it's interesting, so if you watch Guti, so the big issue for in this fight for Andre all is definitely the kicking game, all uh, got kicked up by um, Jonathan Martinez, I believe he got leg kicked a lot by Nathaniel Wood, and Ewell is his long stance doesn't really lend itself to strong kick defense. He can like drop back for them, but it's not really a thing that he does consistently. And Gutierrez is just a—he's a monstrously powerful kicker, and he's a very consistent power kicker. Uh, we saw in the Vince Morales fight that was a thing. I think if there's a spot of hope for Ewell, it's mostly that um, Gutierrez's defense is very good. If you go back and watch the Vince Morales fight, uh, Morales was able to come at him with like these long linear um, charges when his leg wasn't, you know, completely killing him in that very second. And Gutierrez, his response was just to, like, drop back very hard and just Mm. get hit. So, Ewell is pretty good at these, like, reaching combinations. Uh, He did some shifting stuff against Erwin Rivera, uh, cursed be the name. But (laughs) I think uh, this is mostly a fight where I think Ewell needs to, like, land a big shot. It's not really a fight that's good for him. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think I kind of like Ewell more in terms of, like, fun factor. Uh, but it's not, uh, he's not a contender in my opinion, and Gutierrez seems like a tough matchup for him specifically.
0: Yeah, that's kind of how I'm feeling. Like, I think Ewell can probably do better against better guys just because his thing is a little easier to impose on people, like against, like, Marlon Vera. Even, like, first of all, when when Cheeto was trying to, uh, you know, be an outfighter with him, that was going really poorly. But even when he said, okay, I'll, I'll pressure you, I'll swarm you, that wasn't going that well either. Like, he was being really dumb about it, and you was doing a good job off the back foot. And I think that applies to a lot more fighters than Gutierrez just kind of being, like, in there, being a kickboxer. Um, but like I said, from that Durden fight, I feel like he has the ability to focus up and fight a bit of a different game. Like you talked about, he has, like, linear retreats. He cleaned that up um, when he needed to win the, win the round and put on that 10-8 round. So it's like... I think he might be better than he's shown overall, but he maybe lacks a little focus or I don't know. I'm not exactly sure. But Yule, it's like I think the gaps might be a little bigger overall, so it's like stronger strengths and weaker weaknesses if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, Yule is a uh, mini Michael Johnson, so he's very That's fast. Very good. Not really. Yeah, he's I mean, okay. I guess. It, okay. Uh, let's go with that. I think there are so, there are enough similarities where I can say that that isn't racist. But he's a very fast southpaw straight puncher who goes to the body a lot and struggles with grappling. So that's exactly what I meant. I meant nothing more. Uh, I think, yeah. I think Yule's, like his body work and his uh, his speed, his ability in exchanges. He did a nice job against um, Anderson dos Santos, where he like ankle out into. <laughs> it is. It's computer generated, but. <laughs> He did a very nice job uh, angling out into the open side and cracking him with the left hand as uh, Dos Santos tried to face Like He does a lot of cool stuff individually. It's just that his game doesn't really work against elite fighters who like know what to do against him. So, yeah, I mean, he's cool. I'd like to see him against a lot of guys. It's just that Gutierrez seems like one where he gets hurt early to the leg and doesn't recover.
0: It's a good fight. I'm looking forward to it. Ricky Simone is fighting Brian Kelleher. I think that's a quality matchup. I don't really yeah. care to talk about it, but I think it's good. Yeah, I mean, way? I
1: don't... Yeah, I don't have a ton of... Uh, you're the wrestling guy, so you probably know more about how good Simone is at wrestling than I yeah,
0: do. Yeah, I haven't watched him enough to come up with any takes, so I got nothing.
1: Yeah, I mean, he wrestled Rob Font, but that's not really that impressive. Um, I think he's developing as a striker. I remember against Font because that's the only fight of Simone I've watched a lot, because Font he's the best. But uh, Simone did some, like, nice body work. He was, like, jabbing with him and stuff. Uh, Kelleher is... Oh, very bizarre sort of striker. He's, like, he's kind of a brawler, but he does, like, some clever stuff sometimes. Uh I remember in the Lineker, not the Lineker fight, the Burrell fight. There were a lot of impressive spots in the Burrell fight where he just kept a pace on him, kept going. I don't think this is a fighter that Simon can just, like, gas out with his pace the way he did against, um... The last guy, I don't... He was a late notice villain. Let's see what his name is. Uh Gaetano Pirello. Yeah, against Pirello, he just, um... You know, kept him on the cage, wrestled him constantly, constantly, constantly. Um, Kelleher's a, a solid grappler. He's pretty dangerous in terms of, like, transitional guillotines, which is how he beat uh, Uriel Contour in his debut. But, I don't know. I, I'm probably just going to go with Simone just because Kelleher is, like, kind of more of an opportunist in general. So, yeah, it's a, it's a close fight, though. I'm excited for it.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I feel like uh, with Kelleher, maybe I trust him a little more to deal with, like, a kickboxer type than a wrestler. Not that he's, like, not a good grappler, not a decent wrestler. I think he's pretty, pretty solid in most places. He doesn't have any, one, like, one big threat, though, and I feel like he has better chances where he can kind of decide if he wants to mix in grappling or not, as long as the striker's not too imposing. So, I mean, he's definitely, he's got a shot here, and, I mean, Simone, uh, I mean, he got wrestled by Marab, I don't know if that really means anything or not, but, uh, Keller could always try to turn the tables on him. We'll, we'll see. I mean, he was, like, working on a single-leg finish when he got uh, sub- subbed by Cheeto Vera. That was a really, really cool transition. Uh, oh, yeah, that was when he trap. went for the Kimura, yeah. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, like, he, he, he tries to take people down. So, uh, we'll see what happens. And really the only other thing on the card that's worth mentioning is the return of Jillian Robertson, <laughs> uh, the fight site's, you know, favorite person to interview. I think we I think she's been interviewed the most times of anyone on the fight site.
1: Yeah, I
0: mean, Unless how many Dan people have been
1: interviewed more than once? Oh, yeah,
0: downtown. But he's more of a friend at this point. The fight site power rankings goes Dan Tom, then Jillian Robertson. (laughs) Um, Our priorities lie.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty much that card. I expect it to have a lot of fun spots, even with the fights that we didn't mention, but uh, it's not a super compelling card.
0: Yeah. Um, If you made it to this point in the podcast, prove it by telling us what you think we should talk about in addition to the Blades Lewis card, besides the recap of this card, because the Blades Lewis card is, um... Disgusting. It isn't good. Although we like <laughs> Curtis Blades.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, th- the main event isn't awful in terms of like seeing Blades do cool things, but the rest of the fights are just...
0: Ugh. Yeah, not, not not super good, so I don't know. Try to come up with some ideas for what else we could talk about. Um, maybe we'll do them, maybe we'll ignore you Equal chance of either thing happening, so you shoot your shot. I don't know. I feel like yeah. we have nothing to plug because uh, we, we mixed our plugs in organically. <laughs> the best segues uh-huh. Do you have anything that's coming out?
1: Uh, I don't believe so. Um, is Depends on when the next cool fights are. So after this, there's Russian Strike gone. Uh, not really anything on that. Lavich, uh, okay 259 has some stuff so we'll probably have some stuff out on on that
0: card yeah so. um yeah just look out for for other things we're posting on patreon and other podcasts and uh i uh i've been doing i did a dual meet wrestling dual meet commentary on patreon we have the um the commentary from the last ufc card i said that weird ufc card i <laughs> i uh Whatchamacallit. I emphasize the U. I never do that. The That's UFC. I thought my mom would do that really, you know, gets on my nerves. Just like stuff like that. Like, you know, the store Best Buy? Oh, uh, yeah. That's how you say it, right? It's not Best Buy. Yeah, it's Best Buy. It's Best Buy. The best is the part. She does that with a bunch of stuff. And, like, people <laughs> want to do that. I'm like, you need to stop. <laughs> this, is, this is, you're committing a crime right now by saying it like that. So I apologize for the way I pronounce UFC. That's not right. So, yeah, we did commentary. <laughs> did some commentaries, and, uh, yeah, look for those. And there's an upcoming request by patron. I think it's Evan Lee again. He comes up with good questions. He asks, what's the most impressive thing you've ever seen a fighter do or, like, a combat sports athlete do? And there's no one good answer to that. So a bunch of us are answering that question uh, in, like, less than five-minute intervals, and then I'm going to splice them all together, and we'll see what length it ends up being. But you're going to get at least, like, four or five examples of an athlete being impressive and little stories from different sports. And it's going to be a nice little podcast. So uh, look forward to that. And Zach Makovsky getting in on it. That's what's up.
1: <laughs> yeah. I'm, 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 I might get in on that if I can think of a good it. one, but also like I only follow MMA and people don't tend to do that
0: impressive stuff. So. Say something about Aldo. I don't know. Yeah, that's the good one. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Any, anything else to say to the people?
1: Uh, no, I think we're done. Um, yeah. Go Daryush. That's the story of this podcast.
0: I concur. Goodbye.